Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time, work, Friends, family, expect you to be on 24-7? Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, you guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Temple of Hoop. I am your host, Jason Maples, a.k.a. Coach Maples, I am here solo. Kings is out getting his COVID vaccine, so we couldn't make this special edition. Uh, first of all, before we get going, we want to thank you guys. As of right now, we are a part of the Blue Wire podcasting network. It just happened last week. And coincidentally, coincidentally, as a little surprise for our first show on a podcasting network, quote-unquote, we have a special guest. We have NBA Retired veteran Antonio Daniels, also the analyst for the New Orleans Pelicans. AD, what is going on with you, man? Oh man, I'm awesome, brother. Ain't, ain't no special guest. I ain't special, man. Are you special to me? Special. You talking basketball? I'm all about this. <laughs> I know you are the first NBA player that we've had on. The first former NBA player we had on. Just um, King isn't here, but we do appreciate you coming on. And talk a little bit about what's going on in the league thus far. So thank you, man. Appreciate you. For sure. Sure. We're definitely going to hit on the team that you primarily cover first, but we are uh, going to go through a little bit about what's going on in the NBA as of right now. Um, the big thing for me, I want to ask for you, that's going on, are the Utah Jazz a serious contender in, in your opinion? Because I, I look at the numbers, they are shooting 43 three-pointers a game, hitting at, about, matters. hitting at about 40%. And my question for you, is that sustainable over the course of a playoff run? Uh, okay, here's my thing, Jason. I honestly think that it only has to be sustainable versus certain opponents in the playoffs. Okay. Um, the NBA now has evolved to, and we are in the era of NBA basketball where the most coveted skill is the ability to shoot the ball. Right. You know, you think about it. Is rebounding thought of how it once was? Is defending or block shots? Think, think of somebody like Hassan Whiteside. You know, he led the league in rebounding, or Andre Drummond led the league in rebounding. Hassan Whiteside was second. Hassan Whiteside led the league in blocks, and he's playing for the minimum in Sacramento. Right. <laughs> so the league has evolved to a place where that three-point line is king. And if you start to go through and pay attention to every NBA game, 
a lot of times you don't even have to look through the stats for those quote-unquote casuals out there that don't watch the games. Just look at the, the three-point stats at the end of the game, and that'll tell you who won the game a lot of times. Right. That's what true. Utah has that other teams don't is there is no other team in this league whose roles are more defined and were more defined coming into this season than the Utah Jazz were. Mm. So, like, comfortability, chemistry, and camaraderie, it matters. So a lot of other teams that you can think about, even the team like the Lakers, who I picked before the season started on our SiriusXM radio show, to repeat, you still have to figure out how to get Dennis Schroeder, how to implement him, uh, Montrezl Harrell, uh, THC, all those guys. Right. What about Utah? Who's different on Utah's team this year that wasn't there last year that's impacted? Right. That, that's interesting because that is actually one of the reasons I picked them to be a higher seed this year. I was like, they have mm-hmm. some of the least amount of turnover on their roster, and that kind of matters more on a 70-day offseason. Right. So that, that I thought that was a huge factor. That's why I picked them. I didn't expect them to be 22-5, and five, mind you. <laughs> but Well, well when, the, the thing is, when you what Utah has that a lot of other teams don't, like all teams covet something. Right. All teams need something. And the one thing that all teams need is shooting. You can never have enough shooting. So if it's Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Joe Ingles, Bagdanovich, uh, Royce O'Neal, and then you come off the bench with Jordan Carson and Joe Ingles, like, they have shooting. So they constantly keep you rotating. You're spreading out. They move the basketball. They, They assist. They play together. And Rudy Gobert is just in the middle, and he's cleaning everything up. Right. Every team is trying to play four out one in, but every team doesn't have a four out one in roster. <laughs> right. That's, that seems to be the case. My question for you is, do you think they have enough? Like, let's, let's obviously, let's say Lakers and Clippers are your benchmark in the West, correct? Right. So I'm thinking in the series about them, do they have enough on the wings to deal with a Kawhi, Paul, George, potentially, right? And then mm-hmm. if it's the Lakers, they have somebody. Royce O'Neal is fine. He's only 6'4". LeBron is 6'8", 260. Is there somebody on that roster that's going to slow down elite wings, in your opinion, which is what I think is going to have to happen for them to win? You know what slows down elite wings? The three-point shot. <laughs> I tell you, it's crazy. It's amazing to me how relevant and how important the three-point ball is. Right. Like, because the NBA is at a place now where can you really defend? Can anybody in this league? <laughs> this is the thing, Jason. This is the most skilled the NBA's ever been. You know what I mean? Agree. Like, just from top to bottom. Players now are doing things that we've never seen before. You know, I'm totally off the subject. Not to go back to what Kevin Garnett said, because I completely disagree with it, but <laughs> – if you look at what Steph Curry does every night and a Kevin Durant does every night and James Harden, they're doing things, Damian Lillard, things that we've never seen done, you know? And so can you really, can you really say, you know what? I got a guy that is going out, is going to go out and lock this person down. It's not right. going to happen. Okay. The rules benefit the offensive player. Um, they want high scores. They want guys to score the basketball. So honestly, I don't trip on the defensive end as much. Not like I once did. Where it's like you hear everybody say all the time, well, they can go get this guy, but he can't play any defense. Well, nobody can really defend anymore <laughs> because the rules don't allow you the opportunity to defend like that anymore. 
I, I, I would agree with that. My, my kind of rebuttal or kind of not a rebuttal, but uh-huh. my, my uh-huh. question for you to that is why, if, if that's the case, then you look back over the last 10, 15 years, those championship teams are always top five in defense though. So how does that correlate with what you just, I agree with what you just said, but how does that correlate with you, what you, what you just, you know, kind of went, kind of went on that. Because there's a difference between individually being able to stop somebody and collectively having a good defensive scheme that is catered uh, towards okay. stopping certain players. Okay. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Like when I say individually, that's why Utah is so good. Donovan Mitchell is their leading scorer about 24 points a game. They don't do a lot of ISO ball. You know what I mean? It's not like they're back when I played, you know, you remember they, they would give the ball to a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant and allow him the opportunity to go one-on-one. That's what made the triangle offense so difficult to guard. When they gave it to those guys at the elbow, you dead in the water. You know, so the NBA was heavy isolation basketball. Now yeah. the NBA, because of shooting, you have four out and that ball moves around the wing. So now you have to have a sustainable defensive scheme. Not to stop that one individual or those two individuals, gotcha. but to be able to slow down that particular team. You know, if you put somebody on Kawhi and say, stop him, good luck. You, know, <laughs> right. you put somebody on LeBron and say, stop him, good luck. You know, so you go back and you look at Milwaukee. What has eliminated Milwaukee the past, the past two seasons has been really good collective defensive teams. Teams wall, that actually have are constructed to get back, build a wall, and then flare themselves out. Right. Everybody's not constructed to do that, though. Right, right. So speaking of that, I wanted to piggyback. You just kind of know you kind of led to my next question. Uh-huh. Do the Nets defend? The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Well enough as a team to win a championship this season for you, or will it not matter because they have three of the most generational scores? And that's how I think of it. You beat me to it. You answered my question for me. Yes, because obviously defense is important. I'm not, I don't want to come off as if it's not, like it doesn't matter. Right. Because it obviously does matter. But we don't celebrate defense like we once did. We don't reward defense like we once did. Um, And I I actually picked the Nets to come out the East. (laughs) Okay. One, because of exactly what you just said, Jay. You know, because of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. And also, they have a guy whose skill set complement those guys and Joe Harris. Okay. But I don't think they're done. That's the main reason I picked them to come out the East, because I think they still have pieces to add to that puzzle. I don't know what those pieces look like. I don't know if it's Andre Drummond. You know, I, I, you know there's other guys that you can think of that you can put in there. I don't know who they're going to add to that puzzle. I don't know if it's JaVale McGee. I don't know who it is, but I don't think the Brooklyn Nets are done because – as good as they are offensively, they still have some defensive issues that they have to address collectively as a team. Right. That's what that's what I it wasn't so much about the individual demons, like you said, it was just the scheme. Uh what they do now, they kind of funneling everything inside, but they just don't have the, the subsequent rim protection to, to right. deal with that. And DeAndre Jordan, he's a little little longer in a tooth than he used to be. He's not the same athletically, so that it happens, age happens. 
So they're kind of getting killed inside. My thing with the Nets is it's funny. They're absolutely dominant against the uh, above 500 teams, and they lose right. everybody else. So in the playoffs, right. who do you play? <laughs> above 500 right. Exactly, exactly. So, but when you, play, when you play those other teams, like when you play the teams that might not be going to the playoffs, that is your playoff game. Because what happened to Brooklyn, they went from the Hunter with Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert and Jared Allen and uh, Joe Harris, all of those guys. They went from the Hunter to the Hunted. The moment that you add that kind of star power, teams have your game circled on the schedule. So mm-hmm. if there were fans in the stands, think of all the, the the road teams that want to see Brooklyn play because of the amount of star power they have. And players are the same exact way. You get right. up to play against Brooklyn. Right. You know, you get up to play against LeBron and the Lakers. You get up to play against Steph Curry because it's Steph Curry. So – you know, now they're no longer the hunter. Now they're the hunted. So you're going to get everybody's best shot night in and night out. Right. So you have a at this point your your pick was Lakers Nets in the finals. Is that what yep. you that what you had? Okay. We'll see about that. My my pick. And I want to hear what you think about my pick was the the Seventy Sixers. I felt like Maury, uh He gave Ben Simmons and Embiid. This is the most amount of space that they've had their whole tenure together. I think if they can't do it this year, it's, it's, it's time to get them apart. Yeah. Real. Right. So how do you feel about Philly? I think, because my thing is you beat the Nets, you have to absolutely kill them inside, slow tempo down, mm-hmm. take away possessions from those three guys to split up. I think with Embiid, they have the potential to do that. And if you double Embiid, you got Curry, Tobias, uh, Danny Green, shooters all around them to, to if you double, and they could possibly get your team in foul trouble. You can't mm-hmm. play Durant at center against Embiid because he's going to be in foul trouble. So I'm thinking – that's the team who can maybe knock them off. How do you feel about the 76ers uh, prospects? You know, when we had to go through and and kind of preview every team before the year on, uh-huh. um, on our radio show, Philly for me is the biggest if team in the league. <laughs> you know, it, it's like you tell yourself if, if Ben Simmons develops confidence in that jump shot, if – Joel and B gets in shape. You know, if Doc Rivers can get that Tobias Harris back that to become that third guy. Uh-huh. You know, if Danny Green and Seth Curry can provide the kind of shooting, if Doc Rivers can speak a different language than Brett Brown did. Uh-huh. So to me, Philly's the biggest if team in the league. And for that reason alone, I can't be mad at your pick. Okay. Because with the ifs that come along with Philly – when they start to check boxes, that's they're dangerous because they are they're a throwback team. Yeah, you yeah. know they're not a team that is, is is honestly when you look at the way that the game is today. Joel and B is a traditional big. How many teams in this league actually play through their traditional big? Where you say, you know what, man, our jump shots aren't falling. We're gonna come down and we're gonna drop it to you, and I want <laughs> you to go to work. How many guys in the league are there like that? Count them on one hand. Right. <laughs> I, actually, I, you can probably count them on one finger, and that's Joel Embiid. <laughs> because everybody else would rather play facing the basket as opposed to their back to the basket. Even right. Jokic. Yeah, you know, even right. Giannis Antetokounmpo. These kind of guys. So, for that alone, I love the different element that Philly brings to the table and the fact that they actually have a big that can punish you inside with his back to the basket. Oh, okay. That, that makes sense. I mean, that, they were my pick. 
and just for all the reasons you said it, but like you said, it's, it's, it's a lot of if that goes into it, so we'll right. see what happens. Um, last team before we get to last team before we get to the team that you cover. So the Lakers here, it was it was weird. They won seven in a row, but in that st- in that in that streak, their offense went from top five to twentieth. They've dropped in that same span. They won all the games. They dropped to 29th in three-point shooting. I was just wondering, is there anything that you possibly have seen in their offense that you can know maybe some of the struggles are coming from as far as shooting? Or is this guy not making shots? Or what is it for you, what you see? I'm going to tell you what's impressive. Is everything that you just said, if that's another team outside of the Lakers, throughout that seven games, they go one and six. (laughs) Maybe two and five. Right, But the fact that you just said all that you just said about their offensive woes and them struggling to shoot the ball, and they still won seven games in a row. That's what makes the Lakers so dangerous. Right. You know, I think they're the deepest team in the league. I think they're the deepest team in the league. But they have the best player in the league in LeBron James. Um, and then they have – they're the only team in this league that have two, two top five guys on the same roster. Right. And just uh, what do you what do you see? What what's their adjustment now? They just Woj was on ESPN earlier today, said they're going to hold AD out through the All Star break. Their schedule, their, their schedule gets a little tougher. They got uh, the next seven games: it's Nets, Jazz, Blazers, Suns. Like, Timberwolves are mixed in there; they're struggling, but mm-hmm. the Cats back, so you got to play against them. They got the Warriors, who they lost to already. You got to deal with Steph, obviously. So, what do you see for them as far as the next? Nine, ten games, I think, which is through the All Star break without what they have to do to tread water. And here's the thing, Jason, with with the Lakers, it doesn't matter. And, and I say that to say this: there are certain teams that, no matter what happens in the regular season, they'll remain competitive, they'll remain relevant, but their eyes are always on the bigger picture, which is the postseason. Brooklyn is one of those teams where you want to play, you want to develop some chemistry throughout the course of the regular season and all that stuff, but you're more concerned with the postseason. LeBron health, right? being yeah. health right, exactly. So Anthony Davis, like, I, I get it. It's an Achilles. You look at what happened to John Wall. You look at what happened to Kevin Durant. You look at what happened to Clay Thompson. So now you're going to be more cognizant and more careful of how you deal with Anthony Davis because of what some of these other stars have gone through. Right. So you may even hold him out longer than what you regularly would. But with all that being said, they are not concerned with this, this part of the season, this first 36 games. They're more concerned with what are we going to look like heading into the postseason. Mm, right. I agree. I agree. I agree. So moving on, we got to go to the team you cover, obviously. Um, we wish you were under better circumstances. The time. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Pelicans, it's just, it's a lot. <laughs> Young team, for me, just watching them, just what I've seen, they started out, it seemed like they were more energized on the defensive end to begin the season. Or maybe mm-hmm. that was luck teams not missing shots. They've hit a little bit of a lull defensively the last, since the sixth three game, games. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The three-point line is killing them right now. Just this, mm-hmm. the last three games, minus 24, minus 24, and then Bulls game, it was minus 36, I believe. And yeah. You just take that away, they win the game. But, unfortunately, it's a big part of the basketball game. Before the season, I picked them. It's weird because before the season, I picked them to be in 10th place, which makes mm-hmm. a playing situation. They're one game back from that. But I found myself disappointed with what I've seen so far. It's so weird. It's like they showed me more, but we just haven't seen it sustained. So what, 
what are your initial impressions right now of the Pelicans at this point? See, you know what's funny? Because covering this team, um, anytime you speak your truth, it's seen as an excuse. <laughs> right? Yeah. So this is what I'll tell you, Jason. You had a shortened offseason, 71 days. You had a shortened preseason. You had a shortened training camp. And 40% of your starting lineup is new. You got rid of one of the most beloved Pelicans, maybe the most beloved Pelicans. Oh, so yeah, the most from what, from what I was told, yeah, yeah. Right, in history. You got a brand-new coaching staff with a brand-new offensive and defensive scheme. And you are a young, inexperienced, and impressionable basketball team. Trust me. It's not going to click in the first 20 games of the season. You're going to have highs. You're going to have lows. Um, you're going to feel good about yourself. And there are signs that you're going to doubt. And that's what you see going on with this team right now. And with a young team in this league, a lot of times their defensive output is geared around how well they're shooting the basketball. Yep. Uh, young teams, that's at every level. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. Oh, if, if I'm, you know, when a guy hit a shot, he always want to smack the ground and right. do it once he scores. Right. But when he goes 0 for 5, now his defensive intensity is a little bit different than what it may have been. And, and what you're seeing with this team is, I, I say on our broadcast all the time, I, I think we have to understand the difference between lack of effort and lack of understanding. And with a young team, sometimes it's lack of understanding. The effort may be there, but it's trying so hard to do what Coach Van Gundy's telling you to do that you may lose sight of the basketball IQ defensive piece of it. Mm. You know, there was a particular play last night where in the Detroit game where someone penetrated and Nikhil Alexander-Walker was guarding somebody in the corner and he overhelped. I remember that exact play. Left the guy wide open in the corner for three, and I said on our broadcast, you have to understand who you're guarding, know what your physical capabilities of and how much you can help and get back. You know, that line right now is that's the difference in NBA basketball games. You you mm-hmm. just talk, you just spoke on it. The last three games, the Pelicans are a minus twenty-eight from the three-point line per game. That means you're getting outscored behind the three-point line by an average of twenty-eight points the last three games. But On the flip side, if I told you this, over the last three games, this Pelicans team is averaging 119 points. They are averaging 27 assists and only 10 turnovers a game. You're supposed to win those games. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that three-point line is the biggest difference in today's NBA. The great equalizer. It is. (laughs) It is. All right, so let's let's go a little deeper here. So one of the – the obviously by far the most controversial uh, Pelican is Lonzo Ball, as far as what you know, what people see as his role and his future. That's not you know, mm-hmm. never, never let's talk about now. Um, I felt like Lonzo started off struggling, and then he's. I think right now, where the way he's playing these last ten games is kind of where the team like wants him. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts about Lonzo and where he can continue to grow and what he's doing right now? Okay, here's my thing. Um, 
this is the part of NBA basketball people don't understand. And, and this is where um, you separate fans of the sport with fans of a player. Right. The NBA, <laughs> the NBA is not about that particular player and just what that particular player does well. Mm. This league is about stars, surrounding stars with guys whose skill set complement theirs. What I mean by that is this. Give me a role player. Give me a role player from any team out of all 30 teams who the offense is ran through. Not a one. You won't find one. So what that means is as a role player, and the only reason that I am qualified to speak on this aspect, Jason, I will never speak on what it's like to be a star because I wasn't one. I played 13 years. I knew my role. I was a role player. I was a, an assist guy, a run my second unit guy, don't turn the basketball over guy. <laughs> right. This is the thing about role players. When you're playing with stars, you have to learn to play off the ball because the ball is going to be in the hands of your stars. That's the way this league works. Right. You know, Drew Holiday now is in Milwaukee. Do you think his usage rate is the same in Milwaukee that it was here? If not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have to adjust to the stars that you have. I was best to play with Tim Duncan and David Robinson. You know what Pop told us? You know what? If you're coming down and you ain't butt naked open <laughs> or you don't have a layup or a dunk, that ball goes into them. So what that does, that means I can initiate the offense, but after I initiate the offense, I now become secondary. I'm no longer the primary. So I have to spot up somewhere and wait, even if spotting up is not my strength, which is not because it's not about the individual. It's about winning basketball games. Right. It's about Absolutely. investing in winning. Right. So I, I, Lonzo brings a lot to the table. And I'm going to be honest with you, Jason. I think he is just scratching the surface. I do too. I, really I do too. But he, what I like about what he's done is he has embraced his role, and in embracing his role, he is now excelling in his role. If you don't embrace a role, it's hard to excel. Right. You know, he's defending. He is still facilitating, and he has become a knockdown three-point shooter. He is just learning the balance of when to attack, when not to attack, when to get to the rim, when to get to the foul line, which is something that happens over time. I'm a mm -hmm. huge Lonzo Ball fan. Mm -hmm. I heard you. That's interesting you said because I heard you and Joel on the last broadcast he had drove a couple times and had layups, actually, and actually ended up uh, kicking them out. And I heard you both were saying, just be a little more selfish on those drives. Right. <laughs> so I just finished that. Right. So, yeah. Um, another issue I wanted to talk about was, you know, Ingram and Zion. A lot of people have talked about their fit. I think they fit well. The the Me question too. The question will be just what goes around them in the future. I think the team is committed to those two guys. Um, my takeaway is they're – One's 23 in his first year being given the keys to a team. The other is 20, hasn't played a whole season yet. So these takeaways, be, these referendums on what they can and can't be are a little ridiculous to me. It's premature. Yeah, it's premature. It's just you have to give them a chance to grow and then make your determination off that. Um, for me, you know, I'm, I'm a big B.I. fan. Uh, I'd like to see a little more from him defensively. Like uh, – in with me earlier in the season, he seemed a little more active on that end, mm -hmm. hands in passing lanes, weak side blocks, you know, getting up in guys a little bit more. I think it's it's tailed off a little bit, just about, if I'm being honest, as a fan. Right. So 
where are you with with those two as far as being groomed and developing as you know leaders of this franchise, which is what what I think the the organization wants to happen. I'll tell you this, Jay. I think that the Fel- the Pelicans are in a great place moving forward because of everything you just said about their their core, their core youth, and um, with Bi. The thing that I, I think is underrated about him and also about Lonzo Ball that I had an opportunity to see last year and going to traveling with them, being at every practice, every shoot around, is their work ethic. Every road game that we went to, when you get to the hotel and you go downstairs, B.I., Lonzo Ball, and Coach Fred Vincent were going to some gym to get shots up. Mm. And that's the part that people don't see. People see this. They see this right here. They don't see the journey. I am blessed enough to see the journey, to see the practices, to see how hard these guys work. And Zion, to me, is one of one in the history of the sport. I say it all the time. It's very few athletes that you can say that about. I cannot find a a comp for him. I cannot find a comp for him. (laughs) No, you can't. What you can do is you can take aspects and pieces of different players. Right. Oh, you know what? He's built like Rodney Rogers. Or he's left-handed like Rodney Rogers. He has the explosiveness of Charles Barkley. You can take different players. Right. But this dude, and, and, and what I love about both of them, they're great guys. So you can throw everything else out the door. You know, th- there are certain guys in this league that you can't say that about. I can't say that about everybody else. With these guys, and, and you just said it, I, I think we forget the youth, the inexperience. Because what we do is when the NBA is putting a label on someone, okay, that guy's an all-star, or there you see Zion hasn't even played 50 games yet. Right. He has not even surpassed 50 games, but every time he touches the ball, he is seeing two or three guys. That mm-hmm. speaks to how dominant that he's been. And, and, and we forget, Zion was 20 years old. Just think about this, Jason. That's three years removed from prom. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, but right, yet right. the amount of responsibility that we are putting on guys' shoulders, it's it, it's incredible. I, I love where these guys are now. That's not to say that they don't have shortcomings and right. they don't have weaknesses. There is no tougher end of the floor to grasp the concept of than the defensive end. Right. Because in college, it's, it, I'm, it's a little bit easier. Yeah, that's right. The, the, the turnoff for me was like when I really started pushing back on Zion, it's like, you know, these guys who, who are paid to cover the game, if he's 20, you know, he make a mistake defensively. They post a clip and be like, oh, boy. I'm like, dog, he's 20. What, what do y'all – like, he, he's going to make mistakes. You can do that. Right. The thing is, you can post a clip of anybody. Right, and it's, it's, that, that's time. the thing. They, they wouldn't be consistent with it because, of, you know, the spotlight on Zion. It's like, oh, he's not right. perfect yet. It was like – and that was the frustrating part for me just watching him play. I was like – because when you watch the Pelicans, like um, like you cover him, like I watch every game, when you see the subtle growth, like from game to game, okay, he's doing this now, mm-hmm. he wasn't doing last game. He saw this, he wasn't seeing it last time. It gets, it gets frustrating when you see like national people, they come in, they may not watch as much, and they say, oh, well, he still can't do this. I was like, you, you haven't seen. Oh, the, the, the thing is, t- take it out of the basketball realm and put it in real life. Right. Were you a finished product at 20? Right. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we don't we don't think about this stuff. Like, were you a finished product at 23? 
if I was if I was a finished product at twenty as a man, I would be in trouble. <laughs> right I would back. be in trouble. Both but of what us. We expect is we expect these guys that we are putting this amount of pressure on because of the amount of money they're being paid to be finished products, and they're not. You know, when you take these guys out of college and now you're giving them different defensive schemes and rotations and and basketball defensive IQ, all of these things that maybe they never had an opportunity to to develop. Because never had, I never asked to do them. Exactly. And when you play AAU basketball and you're longer, faster, more powerful, and more agile and bigger than everyone else, you're going to be able to make up for defensive errors. But when you get to this level, and sometimes people can match your athleticism or your strength, or they are just smarter than you because they're more experienced than you are. There is a growth and refining process that takes place on this league, in this league, and a lot of times with young players, it starts on the defensive side of the basketball. That is a hard end to kind of to, to, to catch on to. And it's, it's, it's not pretty. Right. It's not pretty because, like you said, you can take a clip here or you can take a clip there. Like, oh, my gosh, what was this guy doing? Oh, my gosh, what was that guy doing? Because it takes time. Right. So just to kind of wrap up the Pelicans, what do you – what do you hope to see just going forward as far as growth in these next few games? Like I said, the, I had them 10th coming mm-hmm. in the season. If I was to be honest, I had them in, in the play-in scenario. They're one game back, so they're not too far off where I had them. So wh- where do you want to see them grow in what specific area as a team, like in these next few weeks before a little bit of the break happens? You know what I would like to see? I would like to see um, this team respond different when they're punched in the mouth. That's what Stan said that last night, actually. He was like, well, he doesn't like how they respond to the adversity. Right That's right what I would like to see because throughout the course of a game, you know, and if you look at this team over the past few games, even the last three games that they've lost. So you can go back to Chicago and then Dallas and then last night in Detroit. Great first quarters. Right. Great first quarter. Double-figure leads. But now what happens when that three-point shot isn't falling? You know, what happens when the offense isn't buzzing like it once was? How do you respond from there? And that's where growth happens. That's where the growth happens. When you learn to win basketball games outside of just shooting. You know, okay, look, this is what we're going to do. We ain't knocking shots down, but we're going to buckle down defensively. Right, we ain't knocking shots down. We ain't giving up wide open shots either. So I would like to see this team respond different to adversity. I would like to see this team respond different when they're punched in the mouth. Yeah, my thing is I just kind of wanted to see, like, give yourself a chance at the end of the game. Like, right. it be over. Because even if you lose then, okay, we've developed some chemistry working in late game, close situations, right? Just I don't like the, the, the blowout, empty the bench. These are garbage, like, quote-unquote garbage points. As I think they just try to have to try to avoid those those scenarios because it's, it's limited growth when that happens. And, and you know what? You know what you don't want to hear after games? We were outworked. Yeah, that, you can hear that. You know what I mean? You can hear, you know what, this team beat us. They out-executed us right. or whatever it may be. The last thing that you want to hear as a player and the last thing you want to say as a coach at any level is that team that we just played worked harder than we did. That's right. the last thing that you want to hear. Right. And just one uh, – Stan noted this yesterday. It's one quick thing because so I just kind of off track. So uh-huh. in, the, in the last few games – B.I.'s gotten off to hot starts early, four or five, five or six, and then Stan pulls him or the number rotation, 
and he comes back, and it's, it's, it's been a struggle the last few games trying to recapture whatever uh, flow he had going early. My my theory was, you can correct me, my theory was maybe he had maybe he'd been sitting too long. Stan said maybe he's tired. My view is, you know, what, what do you think just seeing it up close and covering it? It's happened a, you know, that, quite that, a few times. That's their – that's been Stan Van Gundy's rotation thus far. Uh-huh. And the same way we expect um, – adjustments from players like as a coach you have to find out what works too true and true. remember the Stan Van Gundy hasn't coached his team for 10 years right, first year <laughs> yeah he's coached his team now for what 20 some games well, you know, short, so off season, he, short enough season right right so he's and, and and what why it's important Jason is because you're playing every other day and when you're playing other day, what that every other day, what that does is that cuts down on your practice time. So now regularly, when you play play on one Monday and then play again on Thursday, you can work on things on Tuesday and Wednesday. But now when you're playing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, right. <laughs> now you don't have the practice time to work on the things that you regularly could, especially when you are trying to use some of those days for rest purposes for guys like Brandon Ingram. Zion, Lonzo, Stephen Adams, some of those guys. Right, right. Okay, that that's good. So, I, I did some research, and um, again, you, you you've played, you know, you've hired above me. I just I'm curious about what you think about just the general uh, roster makeup. Obviously, I see the things that Stephen Adams brings to the table. Um, the toughness. He's kind of a bodyguard for Zion. Sets incredible screens. Um, so I did some research, just like. Lonzo, B.I., and uh, Bledsoe, they're all like career lo- career lows in uh, rim attempts, like as far as getting to the rim and getting field goal attempts at the rim. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that's not, not a downside, just a double-edged sword of playing, you know, two guy, playing, you know, two bigs, Zion and uh, Adams, you don't necessarily space the floor. So what do you think is a is a way to get them going more downhill, more toward the rim? In your I, I think it has to be a mentality. I'm going to okay. be honest with you. I think it has to be – I think it has – I think attacking the rim has to be a mentality. I, what I mean by that, I mean attacking the rim to score as opposed to attacking the rim to facilitate. You okay. attack the rim to score, then you can adjust and facilitate. I think that – do you think about Eric Bledsoe and who he's been throughout the course of his career? Slasher, he's been an attacker. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. He's been a slasher. And you know what's amazing? I was having this conversation with one of my boys a couple of days ago. It's amazing when you use – certain terminology in today's generation is seen as a, a slight. It's seen as hate. Like you just said, like, Eric Bledsoe is a slasher, you know, or if you tell somebody, oh, that guy's 3 and D, you know, he's a 3 and D guy. Oh, what you mean? All he can do is shoot threes and play defense? When is that a bad thing? <laughs> when is it a bad you guys thing get paid. Say, I can shoot the heck out of the ball on one end, but on the other end, I can also be up. That doesn't mean that that's all that you do. That just may be, at the time, what you do best. Right. You know, and to say that Eric Bledsoe's a slasher, that is not a – that's not a slight. That just means, man, you know what, when that guy puts his head down and he's attacked the rim, we got to account for that. When that guy is wide open at the three-point line, we have to account for him to shoot the ball as he's a 3 and D guy. You know, it's amazing where terminology has taken basketball today, where guys see certain things that, that when – in my era, it's like, man, that's a heck of a compliment. You know, you're telling me if I put the ball on the ground, I'm difficult to deal with. Or you're telling me if I can space the floor and give my star room to operate, 
because they have to honor my ability to shoot as a three-point shooter. And on the other end, you can put me on one of the best offensive players. So on one end, I'm giving you offense. On the other end, I'm giving you defense. And that's a slight. <laughs> we got to we gotta take a look at some things. <laughs> right, right, right. I think just guys, they have an idea of what they see for a player and then what they actually, you know, can produce given their role and just and opportunity at that time. So uh-huh. I think that's that's just where that's where the gap is. Man, this was good, man. I appreciate this, AD. Man, you guys go ahead and give um, AD a follow. AD Daniels thirty three, right? AD Daniels thirty three on Twitter. Yeah, AD Daniels thirty three on Twitter. Again, him and Joel are my favorite broadcast team uh, in the league. I try to. I told them. I, I told AD. The Pelicans on national TV so much. I'm in California. I can't. I can't get the get, get the broadcast <laughs> I want to. This is the downside of being in California, man. I can't get you on league pass. But again, AD, appreciate you, man. Uh, thank you for tapping in on me. It's been a long time coming. I wanted to do this for a while, so thank you, man. For sure, man. And just, I, I love chopping it up about basketball. I love talking about basketball. Obviously, I got my own radio show every day. But outside of that, like talking with guys like yourself that that are knowledge and intelligent in the game. I, I love doing it, man. Anytime right. you want me to join you, man, just let me know. All right. Tell, uh, tell, tell us where they can find you on uh, SiriusXM, man. SiriusXM every day, 12 to 3. It's called Give and Go. Um, SiriusXM NBA Radio. Um, it, it's, it's all NBA talk. That's all we do. Not it's not any – if not team-specific, it is overall around the league. Um, every day, me and my, my co-host is Rick Kamla. Um, I like old, that, Cam. I like Cam. Yeah, from from NBA <laughs> NBA TV. Right. So you know we go in every day, twelve to three. Outside of Thursday, Thursday it's one to three, and that's twelve to three Central Standard Time. All right. Um, love it. Take calls, chat it up with fans, and just just have fun with the game of basketball. All right, man. Make sure you guys follow myself, JJ Maples fifty five underscore MST. Hit the follow and subscribe button on the table of hoop. Thank you guys for tapping in, and we are out of here. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.